Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. You know, Sid, you're pregnant. Did you? I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. I, we, I, I guess I sort of announced it last time. Yeah. Well, actually, a couple of times you talked about like maternity clothes. Anyway. I was just not, trying to, I was trying not to make a thing. I was trying not to make a thing. I mean, like, it's our second time around. We've done it before, so. We're old hands. And, you know, the first time we <laughs> did make the biggest thing because we did, like, all of our episodes in that time period mm-hmm. on pregnancy and babies and what have you. Right. Uh, and we didn't leave a lot of meat on the bone, I would say, for the second go-round. No, we didn't. But there is there is one story that, that kind of relates to this that I've wanted to do for a while. We've had lots of people suggest it. And I hadn't read much into it. And I don't know why. Because now that I'm, now that I have, I'm really excited to share it with you. Well, do you, do you know the story of Martin County? No, Sid, I don't. <clears throat> but you probably would have guessed that. You've known me a while. You sort of know what I'm bringing to the table. You're going to like this guy. You're going to like this story. This is the story of uh, the evolution of preemie care, so premature babies, and what would become neonatal intensive care unit care, you know, NICU care. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of, it's part of that story. This is not everything. There's a lot that goes into, obviously, intensive care for newborn babies. Mm-hmm. But this is one part of that story that I think is pretty interesting. And uh, and like I said, a lot of people have recommended it. So thank you to Tamara and Sarah and Kelly and Michelle and Abby and Shauna, because this is a really neat story. I'm ready, Sid. I'm braced. So for most of history, if a baby was born early, and by early, I mean... We're talking significantly early. I don't mean a couple days. I mean early enough that there would be some sort of concern sure. for the safety of the infant. Uh, basically, you just hope for the best. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times, whether a baby was born early or was born with an illness or some sort of congenital uh, disease, it was all kind of lumped into the same category. Basically, the baby was thought of as a weakling was the term that was often used. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, you gave birth to a weakling. Um, kind of the same concept in animals as like the runt of the litter. Right, yeah. And and the thought was that, you know what? Some babies are just born sickly. They're just born puny. And I'm living uh, evidence of that. Some 
Some people you are were, just born puny. And you were a huge baby. I was nine you pounds. You were not puny. You were. I was nine pounds eleven ounces, but very little of that was. No, like you were bigger mass. than that. No, I, no, you're right. Charlie was nine pounds eleven ounces. Charlie was our, our daughter was. The kid, the kid was over ten pounds. Yeah, you were over ten pounds. You but were not huge. Not a lot of muscle mass, Sid. Well, I wasn't like honey, cut. Not a lot of babies are. I didn't have sick gains. <laughs> not a lot of babies have six packs. Uh, but the, the idea was that not only did uh, did they think you know that they couldn't do anything for the baby the the idea was almost there isn't something to do it's not that we don't know yet it's, it's just, just there's how not nature sort of yeah right. exactly um prior to the late 1800s any care for a newborn was relegated to mom the doctor really would not have been involved so in, in a lot of these cases early on we're talking about you know women in the family are delivering the baby and then we go to you know midwifery and midwives are delivering the babies um Man, we really don't make enough time to say the word midwifery on this show. I know, it's a it great is a word. good word. It's a great word. Uh, even as we start to enter a time period where doctors are going into homes and delivering babies, the the doctor would not really be involved with the baby afterwards. They may, uh, if there was some initial resuscitation needed, the mm-hmm. baby was having some trouble breathing or something like that, they might be involved in something initially, but pretty much past that it was mom's job so again it wasn't even thought that this was a medical issue okay you know and so a lot of parents would try kind of the just the stuff that they knew to do generally for a baby keep it warm try to feed it keep it clean but they really didn't have any concept of if you know the baby is born with any issues what what to do past that and the doctor was not very much help in the 1870s, this starts to change. With, Boy, that's a long time. Man. Yeah. Wow. Ouch. God. Yes, it is. And, and let me say, in the 1870s, this is when we start to get like the beginnings of what we really think of as intentional premature baby care. Not obviously attempts were made. Obviously, right, there were isolated right. you know, people tried things. Um, I'm not saying that every baby that was born early prior to the 1870s died obviously not but this was this was kind of the beginning of what we think of now as NICU care so uh Stéphane Tarnier who was a French obstetrician began to investigate other ways of specifically keeping babies warm because he had noticed that you know not a lot of babies were born in hospitals back then mm-hmm. this was really before birth moved to hospitals uh, but the ones that were, he noticed that that if they were born early and they began to have problems, one of the things that they could measure as a problem, one of the objective findings is that they were too cool. They were too cold. OK. They had trouble maintaining their body temperature. And so he began to that think. That was a trouble for babies or that was a symptom of premature babies? He noticed that a lot of premature babies had trouble okay. keeping themselves warm. OK. And thought, you know what, this is probably bad. Yeah. It's probably contributing to the fact that we're losing so many of these babies. Maybe if we kept them warm, they would do better. So get them down to Cabo, <laughs> get a base tan on them, get a couple like virgin Mai Tais in them, uh-huh. just let them soak sure. in the sun like Charles Crow style. Right. Send them on a cruise. Yeah. No, that wasn't the idea. Uh, instead. Oh, well, <laughs> you really leaned into it for something that wasn't right at all, Sid. You really kind of led me uh, led me along there. Sheesh. No, instead, instead, he he began to think he was working at the Paris Maternity Hospital and he began to 
come up with a new way of keeping babies warm. He was actually inspired by the chicken incubators that he saw at the Paris Zoo. Okay. Like where they keep yeah, like eggs that and makes, stuff. That makes sense, right? So he saw those and he, he actually approached somebody who built chicken incubators and said, could you build this for human Can babies? you take out the egg-shaped <laughs> divots and put a blanket over it? We're good. I want to put some babies in there. Uh, so there was one that was built. Boy, that must have been a long conversation. You mean egg babies? No, not. <laughs> well, partner, I don't think you, you need can to do fit. all this with a French accent. Well, partner, I don't <laughs> think you could fit the baby in the little egg shaped divots. So, in 1880, the Boy, first that was good. That I was, was like transported for a second. Yeah, I felt like I was in no, Paris. So. The in 1880, the first one was introduced, and it was it was like a it was very much like a chicken incubator. It was a large uh, unit that could house several babies at once, and you kind of put them inside. And underneath was like a hot water reservoir that was hooked up to a power source, so you could just so we're brazing the babies, <laughs> we're sous viding the children. <laughs> so it would it would keep it very warm. Um, I guess that would be a double boiler, actually. Double boiler. <laughs> It's good for melting chocolate and warming babies. Uh, it was it was later simplified. So this was the initial prototype. He simplified it to single units because he thought, you know what, it probably be, it's probably better to keep the babies in their own little. And they're fighting over the thermostat. <laughs> Everybody has a different temperature they like. So so he kind of created these single units that instead of having these hot water reservoirs underneath, he just used hot water bottles. No. Oh. So basically, you would just fill up a hot water bottle, tuck a couple of them under the baby. And then every three hours, you would have the nurses come back and replace them with new ones. Okay. And that was how they keep babies warm. And what they what they noticed is that just with this one little change, they began to see a decrease in the mortality rate. Excellent. Now, a lot of other changes obviously had to occur, but this but this one thing was very exciting. So this is something simple that we can do that can make a difference. And as this was kind of publicized and word spread... Uh, the idea, the hope was that you would get more moms coming and giving birth in the hospital just in case this mm-hmm. would happen mm-hmm. so that they would have access to these kinds of facilities. Because what they found is that the result instead was that a lot of uh, people gave birth at home. And by that point. And, by the, and then would wait a few days. Right. Try to make things happen on their own. Try to make things OK on their own. And then when things got really dire would show up there looking for help. And it would be too late. And it would be too late. And they would try everything anyway. So it actually, the, the only reason I mention all of this is that it, part of why this had a little trouble catching on is that as all of these people came in from outside in the community bringing infants who had been alive for some period of time and were not thriving, the mortality rate went way back up because the data was skewed. Oh, uh, okay. So so then it then it was hard to prove to people this is really working. So it took a while for this idea to take hold because of this. Um, this did lead to a lot of other realizations in newborn care. Uh, they figured out pretty quickly that mom being present uh, or the the person who gave birth to the baby being present was very important. They figured out very quickly that if the pregnant person could um, take a break from their hard labor jobs, maybe that they had mm-hmm. while they were pregnant or immediately after they gave birth, they may do a little better. Go, so, go figure. I know. It's a crazy idea. So maternity leave came out of this. Oh, wow. Uh, a focus on breastfeeding. They they recognized that breastfeeding was important. Um, 
and uh, and not just not just for wet nurses, but if they could involve the mm, the person mom. who actually gave birth. Um, they started using glass incubators at some point, so you could see the baby. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, to improve bonding, that was the whole idea. Was that my the the parent would bond better if you could see the baby. Um, and uh, and that's so what, all that's this... also good because it probably looked just a little too much like a grill <laughs> before <laughs> before that, if I'm envisioning it correctly. <laughs> Um, and uh, Tarnier did a lot of this, and then uh, one of his, um, one of the people who followed along in his footsteps, Dr. Pierre Boudin, was instrumental in continuing this and expanded on a lot of these ideas. And a lot of babies were saved because of all these cool new ideas in France. So they were really the kind of the leaders. France was the they they, they led the way. Thank for you, this France. Kind we appreciate of it. Um, and now after that. The incubators began to improve over the next few decades, particularly by someone, Dr. Alexandre uh, Lyon. However, um, the new model that he made was superior. It was a much better, um, what we'd probably call an isolate now, but incubators, what they called them. So I'm calling them incubators. Uh, it was a much better model, the Lyon model, mm-hmm. but it was very pricey. And this is still a time where we're trying to convince people to come give birth in the hospital. And whether you agree with that or not, the more people who gave birth in the hospital, the more worth it it was to the hospital to buy these things. Okay, yeah. So uh, they were very pricey. He needed a way to pay for them. So he came up with a novel idea. He put the incubators in a storefront on a busy street. And he charged onlookers to come in and see the workings of a nursery for premature babies. Okay, so kind of like blending some showmanship with helping premature babies. Exactly. Have a exactly. Pinky Barnum vibe. Okay. So, uh, so people were intrigued. They looked at these in the storefront. They would see these incubators with these tiny little babies inside, and they would say, "Well, what's going on in there?" It wasn't very expensive to come in and take a peek. Uh, there wasn't a lot of entertainment back then. Sure, right. It was a little dull. <laughs> so uh, so people would come in and take a look, and this is how he helped fund this. Um, it was so successful that he actually kind of took the show on the road. So during the 1896 Berlin Exposition, he held what was called the Kinderbrutenstalt, which okay. means the child hatchery show. Okay. Yes. yes. I'm <laughs> loving this. Yes. And displayed his incubators with babies that must have been hard though on the road like you pull up to the motel six and you're like is there somewhere in the parking lot that i can leave my baby i've got a truckload <laughs> lots of babies a lot of babies although i need lots of doctors and nurses do you have those uh this this allowed people to uh come and, and see what he was doing and see these technological advances but it also was to give the public more faith in this type of medical care, like come to us, bring us your children. We can help. There are Mm -hmm. things we can do. So it was to try to, to try to kind of build that confidence in the medical system. Um, Because, you know, throughout history, doctors aren't always, you know, not always trusted. In history, y'all were like always feisty. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Has it changed that much? You don't have to answer for their crimes, Sydney. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, one one man who was particularly inspired by this this particular idea, this idea of showing the babies off as a way to raise money for this kind of care, was uh, Martin County. Now, 
Uh, he actually maybe assisted Lion at one of these shows. Um, maybe. Okay. Was was involved with him in, on some level. Um, and then he was inspired by that, that we, this idea needs to happen. Maybe they places. pulled him out of the crowd, like, which one of you would like to come up and pet the babies? <laughs> now, what what were his qualifications to do this? Because everybody I've mentioned so far has been a physician. Right. Are you asking me? Because I actually don't know. Well, I'm not sure either. Okay. It is not clear that Dr. County, as he called himself, was ever actually a doctor of anything. Isn't doctor really just a state of mind, Sydney? Would you agree that no, doctor is a I state of mind? Not at all. No. Mm -mm. What about Dr. Feelgood or Dr. <laughs> Teeth? That's fine for them. For, for Dr. McElroy, it's not. Uh, so he, he immigrated to the U.S. in 1888. Um, exactly where he was born is also a little sketchy. Somewhere in what was then uh, Prussia. Okay. Uh, he he claimed to be 19 when he moved to the U.S., but the year, like I see, 1869 and 1870 used interchangeably, so, so the knows? year and place are a little sketchy. Uh, he claimed to have studied at Leipzig and Berlin, and that he also did study in Paris after that under uh, Boudin, who I had mentioned previously, mm -hmm. worked with premature babies. But the timeline doesn't add up for a lot of this. He would have been so young to have completed sure, all the things. Sure, if he came over things. when he was 19, like, right. what kind of catch me if you can Doogie Hauser <laughs> nonsense is he pulling? And, and there, are, there are also no records in Germany of his having studied there. And especially like the thesis he would have done, those are all kept. And we can't find anything attributed to him or anything like his name from that time period. So there's no hard evidence that he ever actually studied medicine. Okay, that's not a great start, but keep going. Uh, he initially actually in the in like I think in the U.S. Census listed his occupation as surgical instruments, like a dealer of them <laughs> or a collector. <laughs> I'm assuming not an or actual. His, or maybe he was boasting about his fighting technique. I am a surgical my, instrument. My fists are surgical <laughs> instruments. He he claimed for a time that he made incubators, but there's no patent for incubators listed in his name. And a lot of what he was initially selling were things he had, he had bought from, from other people. Uh, he finally did claim the title physician in the 30s. But again, I'm, I don't know that that was actually the case. Uh, either way, he did take care of babies. Okay, got that <laughs> Whether much. he was actually a doctor or not, he took care of a lot of babies. He was inspired. He hosted his own preemie baby shows with these lion incubators in London and at the Pan American Exposition in Buffalo, New York in 1901. These shows were huge. He really had that flair that maybe the previous shows didn't quite have. Yeah, the panache, the sound effects, the pyrotechnics, the Ex whole nine Exactly. He, he got what this was all about. Mm -hmm. He got what the opportunity here was. So the shows were huge. They had all these incubators. They had all these babies. They had nurses and physicians all looking very dapper and caring for them actively during the show. So you could see the doctors and nurses hard at work keeping these babies safe. Um, the audience were totally blown away by this. There, it was this huge, like you can see pictures of the demonstrations and there were these huge sort of like hospitals within a building kind of, because they would be in like these big fairs and things uh, with a sign above that said, all the world loves a baby. So it was kind of like a lo-fi, I mean, throw some puppies in there and you're th talking about a lo-fi version of YouTube, basically. It sort of was. Yeah. Come in and look at the babies. Uh, he was 
criticized at times oh. for his methods. Um, and he, he recognized what they were. He said he used to call it propaganda for the proper care of preemies. He knew what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of his methods were a little unusual. Like what? I'm going to tell you about him, Justin, but let's go to the billing department. I got me. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, I believe, unless I'm mistaken, you were going to tell me about some of the odd methods of uh, Dr. County. Right. So before I do that, let me let me offer you just a little bit of justification in in uh, county's defense. Okay. So at this time in history, these incubators cost seventy five thousand dollars each. Hachi machi. At that time, seventy five thousand dollars in that money. In that money, that would be one point four million dollars in our money. Holy today. crap! They were super expensive. Yeah. They were really expensive. They were a box you put hot water bottles in. What do, the heck? Do you know how much you paid to come see the babies? No, these are better. These are better incubators by this point. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. Uh, say. You paid a quarter to come see them. So it's not like he was upcharging you. Yeah, you're going to have to get pretty good foot traffic to cover that. Thousands. Thousands of people. More, I would say. Well, I mean, he got good foot traffic. Yeah. Like, he got lots of people coming in. You would have to get 300,000 people. I mean, he traveled all over with this show. Yeah. Uh, He took no money from the families whose babies he was caring for. Did not charge them a penny to take care of their babies. If uh, they were in a hospital, and th- there are actually stories of this, babies who were in hospitals where the doctors would come in and say, uh, listen, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. You go home. We c- your baby is a weakling. They're not going to make it. Sorry. He would send his ambulance with an incubator to the hospital to pick up that baby and take him to the show. <laughs> If the if the parents agreed, I mean obviously if the parents agreed. Thank you. Yes. This good. was not by. This was never forced. This was always offered because there were a lot of parents you can imagine who were hesitant of science to put their babies in a sideshow. Well, okay, yes, more accurately. <laughs> yes, uh, but he he would send his ambulance and pick up these babies and bring them to the show if the parents would agree for free. He <clears> accepted <throat> babies of all races and socioeconomic status, which was. A big deal at this point in history. Sure, there was yeah. Zero obviously. discrimination. Everybody was eligible, um, and the cost that he was eating and then hopefully being able to fund through the foot traffic was about fifteen dollars a day at the time to care for the babies, which would be about four hundred and five dollars in our money today. Wow, per baby. So it didn't stop with the buying the incubators. No, no, it was keeping the thing running, and then all of the other. I'm not really going into all of the other care that was developing at this time of how to take care of a, of a preemie. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously from all the doctors and nurses who were employed to work with these infants, a lot of breakthroughs were being made constantly. So a lot of care were go- was going into this. Um, but all that being said, even though in these fairs that he would take part in, there were sections for like new technology like if you went to one of these like a world's fair or something, there was a section where it was serious stuff like look at these technological breakthroughs that are going to revolutionize the world. And that is ideally where he would have had his display. Mm-hmm. That is not where it lived in these fairs. Right. It lived in the area for what they would call sometimes like cultural exhibitions. Sort of where you buy the sugar gliders at the West Virginia <laughs> Pumpkin Festival. Yeah, uh, that the the 
the racist equivalent of that back okay, then. Okay, right. So you would see like Native American shows with people who may or may not have been Native Americans. Sure, right. You would have people who were supposedly from rare tribes throughout the world that had been imported to the U.S. to do things that were racist and stereotypical right. <laughs> to be put on display. Um, you had sometimes what would have been called at the time freak shows. And that's where these that's where these babies were displayed. Okay. It was in this section of the fair. Um, he would do things like have the nurses dress the babies in clothes that were intentionally too large. Um, they, they, they actually Adorable. got pretty good at dressing the babies in doll clothes a lot of the time. So that they would have clothes that fit because there weren't clothes that fit preemies back then. Right. But uh, he would intentionally have them dressed in larger clothes and like tie a ribbon around their middle to hold them on so that it would accentuate how small the babies were in order to draw more people in and to draw more pity, which hopefully meant more money. Right. Um, he would uh, one of the babies that was displayed at one point in the in the Buffalo show was actually born who was actually the father was one of the Native Americans who was participating in the Native American portion of the show. Uh-huh. And uh, his, his name was Chief Many Tales. Okay. I'm certain that wasn't probably his name. Probably wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it probably wasn't that his name, but okay. But the, but the, so when he introduced this new infant in, in this infant's incubator, uh, this was preceded by some sort of dance um, called a traditional dance, and they had to chant the name of the manufacturer of the incubator oh, while they God. did the dance. Yes, it's it's oh. so bad. Oh. It's so bad. Um, and he, we, this, he, time, this time period in history, man, is always like two steps forward, eight steps back. It's so rough. It is. It is because at the same time that he's trying to revolutionize the care of premature infants. Yeah. Oh God. Right. Yeah. Um, and this. All of these shows would eventually lead to a permanent exhibit on Coney Island that ran until the 1940s. I mean, eventually those kids would just be too big. You're looking at a Uh three-year-old in a a glass (laughs) container. It's like, what's the point? Um, Now, in general, even though this was was popularizing the idea of preemie care and like the hope... This is what County always wanted was that this would eventually move to hospitals and not boardwalks. Um, There were several stumbling blocks that it hit that that prolonged this kind of period of preemie care because like i said this went on to the 1940s it started in like the, in 1900 so this is a long time to have mm-hmm. a preemie baby sideshow right uh in the first place like i said before a lot of people were still having their babies at home you had to get people having babies in hospitals to make it worth the hospital's while to do this kind of care and until you had substantial numbers of births taking place in a hospital, they just weren't going to offer this. Yeah. So I, I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying that that well, was no, it. It's it was hard. financially, it's like it was you... impossible for the hospitals. A lot of hospitals uh, were totally funded by donations. I mean, we we decry we have we have oft decried the the sort of um, hospitalization of the birth process, but like it you it, there's other. I don't know other factors you don't you don't it's, think about. It's I guess. tough because for the for the people who are going to need 
you know, who might have a premature baby. Exactly. You need those resources for people who aren't. They're probably fine at home. It's hard. You can't you can't predict. Um, But certainly if you were going into labor and you it was early, you you would know you need help. But hospitals weren't providing it. Um, They just couldn't justify the expense. Uh, In addition, up to this point, we have both obstetricians and pediatricians sort of involved in running this kind of care. But neither one is really embracing it. Mm-hmm. So that was part of what was hard was trying to find like it had to be a specialty. It had to be a subspecialty. Mm-hmm. Nobody was taking that on yet. Um, obstetricians felt like this was their area because they delivered the baby. So they should take it from there. But they were really much more concerned with the mom or or with the person who gave birth. Right. Pediatricians weren't in the hospital to take care of the baby at that moment yet. Right. So so there was no it was it was unclear who's in charge and without some sort of uh, leader in the field who was going to make more innovations, you know, who was going to push it further, who was going to take it to the next step. um, You needed that kind of passion and you needed somebody assigned that job. Uh, and to make the new technology and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of a lot of that stuff stagnated without a clear leader in it. Um, the last big barrier, unfortunately, at the time was the eugenics movement. Mm. So I, it's it, looking back, it's crazy to me that this was part of the problem. But part of the problem is that there were still a lot of people who would make the case that it's not even worth it to try based on the concept that if you were born a quote-unquote weakling, you were genetically inferior and we were harming the human race by taking, by making any efforts to save your life. Listen, well, so, Sid, I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but I don't even think that's right. <laughs> I don't even agree with that, really. I, th- I think there are a lot of, a lot of people who were premature babies who would probably agree with you. Yeah. Throughout all this, though, County held his baby shows. They even had, they had a fire in 1911 at the Coney Island exhibit. Oh, no. All babies were saved. Hooray. Yes, every baby was. Actually, the the people who were part of the um, the freak show, that I, I'm, that is what it was called. I'm using the, the words of the time. Were actually, like, instrumental in saving a lot of these infants. Where is that movie? <laughs> Come on. There was an epidemic of a GI bug at the Louisiana Purchase Show. Everybody made it through and he persevered. This did not stop his momentum. Um, and he, he began to bill himself as the last hope for preemie care in the country. And he may have been kind of right, hmm. frankly. Uh, he held a, a show in Chicago in 1914. And this is a big turning point for him where um, the local medical society said, listen, we'll let you do your show. That's fine. People love this stuff. But we want one of our local doctors to oversee it because you're a little sketchy. Your methods are questionable. So we heard, we heard the chanting. <laughs> we heard the chanting. We don't we don't like some of this. And as fortune would have it, a Dr. Julius Hess was given the task. Hess was already somewhat involved with preemie care through the Children's Aid Society. And his predecessor had actually left a huge endowment at his feet to kind of you be the next like pass along, like you take over premature baby care here in Chicago. Here's tons of money, figure out how to do it. And so Hess was already passionate about this, but he didn't quite know where next to go, how how to implement this, how mm-hmm. to make this happen. Um, 
he was actually pretty inspired by County's show and by his incubators and by the care that they were providing in some of his methods. So he invested in and created a new and improved version, the Hess incubator. Um, He came up with new systems and protocols, developed what essentially would become the modern day in ICU neonatal intensive care unit. Uh, He trained nurses specifically for this task. So he kind of created the specialty of NICU nursing um, and revolutionized the way that we look at newborn care. And a lot of that, like in his first book, he wrote about it. He thanked specifically Martin County, Dr. Martin County, he called him, (laughs) uh, for his leader, for his guidance, for his leadership, for for inspiring him to do this. Wow. In addition, he started doing long-term studies on these uh, babies to show that, you know, 5, 10, 20 years down the road, these people are fine, by and large. Mm -hmm. So this whole idea of a weakling, of some sort of inherent, you know, illness or, or sickness or whatever, is wrong. And this was huge. This kind of getting rid of this concept and just saying, nah, they're just born a little early. They need a little help was huge um, because it, it eliminated this this very, again, like racist idea of the weakling. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he became known as the father of American neonatology, and he was inspired by Martin County. Um, by the time he and County presented another show at the 1933 Chicago Century of Progress exposition, uh, County finally was kind of respected. Like he was interviewed as a kind of like a conquering hero. Like, look at what this amazing, because of his association with Hess and everything that Hess had done. Um, he even had a reunion shortly after that for graduates of his show to come back. Oh, great. You can read, some of these people are still alive and you can read some really amazing stories of them saying things like, one woman said she went up to him and said like, I was one of your babies, <laughs> here I am. And he he was talking to her and then he grabbed one of the fathers who had a baby in the show at the moment mm-hmm. and pulled him over and said, this will be your child someday. This will be yours. Look, I, she was one of my babies and here she is doing fine. This will be your child someday. So just have faith. Um, and, and people got to come back and meet the man who basically saved their lives. Wow. There are, it's hard to get hard numbers as to how many babies County may have saved. He mm-hmm. claims that he treated around 8,000 and that his success rate was like 85%. Wow. Which is amazing. Um, I don't know if those numbers are completely accurate, but it was probably around that. And like I said, there are still people today who say my existence and my five children and my, you know, 10 grandchildren and th- and so on and so forth are because of this man. We would not be here if it weren't for him. Um, because in every story, the hospitals gave up. The hospital said, sorry, bad luck. Mm. You lost the genetic draw. You know, it, that was it. Um, Dr. Uh, County also actually had a preemie. Wow. Really? <laughs> in 1907. Well, his wife did. And uh, uh, her name was Hildegard, and she did okay and came back and would help him with the shows, which is kind of a cool story. And after he died, his obituary was in the New York Times because he was such an influential, important figure of the day. Um, this, uh, This obviously inspired a lot more doctors to adopt the incubators and... There were a lot of things that he did that were, you know, I won't get into the the way he revolutionized preemie care that 
um, inspired many doctors and, and things, of course, are very different today. But this is how we pave the way for, you know, taking care of mm. of premature babies in this country with this um, maybe a doctor, maybe not. Uh, definitely a showman um, immigrant who came to this country and saved the live, lives of like 6,500 of our children. That's amazing. Yeah. Immigrants crushing it every single time. That's right. That's right. This could go in our series. <laughs> now, all that being said, uh, if this, if you think this story is really cool, I'm not the first one to tell it, by the way. I think there's also a documentary on it. Oh, um, yeah. And there are like NPR stories on it. Like there, this is... This story has been told. I'm not the first one to find it. It's an amazing story. But there's also supposed to be a movie that's going to come out about it. Um, This was just announced earlier this year, but I think it's going to be called Dreamland. Excellent. It'll be based on his life and what he what he did. So it's it's a wonderful story, Sid. And thank you for sharing it with me. I appreciate it. No problem, Justin. I had very little part in this story. I really just read a lot about about it and. Cried a lot as as I read it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were I, you were sitting next to me researching this when you got to the eugenics part. You were very put out, like, "Oh, come on, this is going so well." Every time I think like humanity is doing this amazing thing, you run into this like <sighs> scumbags. Um, so that is going to do it for us, folks. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to our program. Thanks to this week's sponsors. Thanks to you uh hey if you want to see a live sawbones you still can if you go to podcon.com we're going to be performing there along with still buffering my brother my brother and me 99 percent invisible i think is going to be there i know roman mars is going to be there i don't know if he's performing or not probably is there's a lot of other great shows that you can check totally out night veil is going to be there it's going to be heck of fun and it's going to be in seattle uh december 9th and 10th believe i think you got that right i believe i got it right i've I've said that enough times at this point you think i should know Uh, but if you go to uh, podcon.com you can get tickets and even if you can't make it there's like a remote ticket you can do so you can check out a lot of the the stuff there um so go do that i think you will enjoy it and uh thanks i think the taxpayers not yet for the use of their song medicines is the intro and outro of our program and thanks to you again for listening we sorry we weren't with you last week uh, Thanksgiving and what have you. Our friends Tim and Guy from the worst city of all time. Are you blaming it on Tim and Guy? I'm blaming it on Tim and Guy. <laughs> that's really unfair. So there. Um, but uh, that's going to do it for us, folks. So until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.